Welcome to the House of Horrors podcast, where each week we dissect problems real estate investors have faced, how they navigated it, and of course, what you can do to avoid ending up in their shoes. Welcome to the House of Horrors podcast, guys. I am your host, Bonnie Gallum, and this week I am so excited to be joined by Miranda McCure. Did I get that correct? This year. Okay. Hard, uh, soft C there. And she is here to talk with us about another tenant horror story. I know we had one a few weeks ago and it's, 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 I don't want to say it's funny, but it's really interesting to me as we're going through these horror stories about how many different ways tenants can kind of go off the rails. This week, Miranda, we were talking on Instagram and our, in my DMS a few weeks back. And she's like, Oh my gosh, I have this like kind of bonkers story that happened right after I purchased this triplex. And so before we get into that story, Miranda, why don't you introduce yourself to my listeners and let us know like kind of like where you are on your investing journey. Sure. Great. Thank you so much, Bonnie. My name is Miranda Monsieur. Like Bonnie said, um, I am a real estate investor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have been investing. So I invest with my fiance and He started before I did, so since 2019, and uh, we then purchased a property together in March of 2021, so only about a year ago that we kind of got into it together and then purchased this triplex in August of 2021, so still very new to all of this, and it's definitely been a trial by fire, I would say. And you know what? I think that's often the case with like newer investors, like the first ones, for whatever reason, they, they just seem to like be bumpy. I wonder if it's like the universe, like testing us. Like, do you really want to be a part of it? It makes me think of I'm Jewish. And so I think of like the conversion to Judaism. And if you, if you catch like the sex in the city reference where um, she goes to the rabbi, like repeatedly, and it's like, I want to become a Jew. And they're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. And I kind of feel like the real estate investing world is a little bit that way as well, where we're like, right. I want to have financial independence. This is something that I really want. I want to be a part of this community. I want to be a landlord or whatever the case may be is. And it's like right. the universe is just kind of like, haha, that's funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely You're- not for everyone, not for the faint of heart, which I've come to realize. And people say that, but I did not realize I went into it a little bit naively, I will say. And you know what? I think it's one of those things where when you want it, it's oftentimes that there's a little bit of naivety, but then on the flip side, like in the media, I find that there's like so much where it's just like landlords sitting back collecting rent, like it ain't right. thing. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you go be a landlord. For yeah. It's like <laughs> more like up all night worrying and the calls at 10 PM that the electricity is out or the gas or the heat stopped working. Right. Or they smell um, gas or right. literally <laughs> happened to us two nights ago. Oh, that's uh, yeah. Fun. That's what yeah. I know. It's, it's so hard when you get those like middle of the night calls. Cause you know, it's like nothing remotely good. It's just yep. like, how bad is it going to be? And like, can it wait till like maybe seven o'clock in the morning where I can get some sleep and then go out right. there and deal with it. Oh, it, it's the worst. How, what, what was the situation with that 10 o'clock phone call this week? Um, our tenant reached out. It was Monday night. It was actually nine o'clock. So not that late, but they said that their heater, the furnace has not been working for the past day and a half or so. And they smelled gas when it's, when it would try to kick on. Um, so definitely probably should have reached out to us maybe like Sunday afternoon when it started, or at least even Monday midday would have been better than Monday at 9 p.m. Because right, then you could have gotten like the gas company out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> right. Thankfully, it wasn't very cold um, and it wasn't going below freezing or anything. So we ended up giving them the space heater for the evening um, and fixed it first thing in the morning. Well, that's good. I'm glad that that was in the scheme of things like any yeah. fix. <laughs> no gas leak. We've gotten those calls where it's like, it's raining in my unit and it's not raining outside and it's like 11 PM and you're like, oh my God, like I know what I'm going to call an emergency plumber. It's going to be like, there goes any profit off of that unit for probably the rest of the year. Yeah. Wow. That is a nightmare. (laughs) You know what? That's, that's not, that is a story that I think I will have to say for another episode. The the time we got the call that it was raining inside a top floor unit when it wasn't. Oh gosh. I feel like when you're just in this game long enough, and one of the things I've noticed through, you know, the House of Hearts podcast is that so many investors, I mean, we've had people who come on like horror stories, like week one after their first property. I mean, we're going to get into your story shortly. And it was a Mm -hmm. few days after closing. And I think a lot of people think they're like, oh, like these, you know, the problems will happen like once I'm really big. And like, it just, at that point, there's going to be this scale that like sooner or later things are going to go wrong. And I think it comes as a surprise to a lot of people. And like, as I've talked to like more and more newer investors, just like how quickly like hiccups pop up, whether it's just like a curveball, like maintenance request or CapEx they weren't planning on doing or a inherited tenant who kind of goes off off the rails, which I feel like that's been happening a lot recently uh, with the moratorium because not to say that all tenants have taken advantage of it, but I think that there has been this like level of comfort that tenants have had through the moratorium. And like, as that's phasing away and as the, you know, the assistance is phasing away, they're kind of not ready to get back on the bandwagon with how things were, you know. Right. And I feel like a lot of uh, investors are like seeing the market and they're ready to sell. So you're seeing a lot of long-time investors offloading, not want to deal with rental assistance ending or the moratorium and just being like, okay, we're just going to pack it in. So, yeah. So that's what happened with our property that we bought the triplex. So, yeah. So let's talk about that triplex a little bit. And so was this a property that you found like on market? Was it off market through a wholesaler or something? So it was on market. It's actually funny. I was doing some off market driving for dollars, et cetera. And I had a letter typed up to send to this property owner because I I saw the property and I thought it was a a great fit for us. And then a few months later, it went on on the market. So yeah, we bought it on market. You ended up buying it on market. And I I saw from your notes is that you actually did this with like seller financing. And there was like, there was some competition on this property, but you ended up getting it. So like, what were the terms that you had offered the seller here to be able to, to get the property in the first place? So that is funny you mentioned that. So it actually ended up, so how we got seller financing was I kind of went out on a limb and found the, the seller on Facebook Um, which was not recommended by my real estate agent, but I just kind of went for it and asked her if she would consider seller financing. I didn't want to go and view the property unless she was willing to consider it because uh, that was really, we had just purchased another property a few months prior. So that was really the only way it was going to work out for us. So she actually replied. She said yes. And I set up a time to go tour the property with my real estate agent. Um, when we got there, uh, turns out the seller, the woman, she was there at the time, just fixing things up. 
Um, And we ended up talking for quite a while, just talking about her experience uh, being a landlord. She owned the property, I think, for like 13 years or something like that. And I told her about my experience as a new landlord. And um, so when I submitted the offer, she did have other offers. She actually had a few cash offers, um, but she really wanted to sell to someone that was local versus out-of-state investors. I guess that was important to her. And um, I guess she just liked our conversation and, and decided to go with, with our offer. So we ended up offering 5% down, which I was kind of expecting her to counter offer, but she didn't. Um, we did 5% down with 5% interest, um, a 15-year term with four-year balloon payment. So in about four years, or I guess three and a half now, we will get it refinanced and, and pay her back in full. Awesome. And so that's always amazing when you can get like creative financing with an on-market property. So yeah, for, for making that happen, because that that's really hard to do because I have found, and you probably, it sounds like you experienced this to an extent. It's like real estate agents don't really know what to do with that. And so they'll yeah. often like talk the seller out of doing it, or they'll discourage the buyer. Like it was in your case from right. even attempting it. Um, and so, I, I go ahead. Yeah, we got lucky. Our agent was familiar with the process and it was her agent that kind of came back to our agent and was like, I can't believe she's accepting this, but she is. So it worked well. It actually was kind of crazy. So the day of the closing she had to come to the closing table with a check instead of receiving a check because she agreed to such um, low amount down and the sales price was really low. So uh, I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but I guess her agent didn't communicate that to her that she had to bring a check to close. And so we're sitting at the closing table and they're like, okay, Kathy, where's your check? And she didn't realize it. So I felt so terrible. I mean, it was just, I, I was like about to cry because I, I didn't want her to think we were like trying to, I don't know, swing one over on her, whatever. Um, but she actually left the closing and went to the bank and got the check and came back. And I think, and then we closed. And I think that right there, should have probably been a bit of a red flag for us that, you know, she was willing to pay out of pocket to get rid of this property. Oh gosh. <laughs> and it's, it's funny you say that because I, it probably in the moment, it didn't feel like a red flag. But right. Like now looking back, you're yeah. probably like, man, like she was like way too okay with, you know, just going ahead and doing that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the funny thing is, is I've had that happen with some sellers before where it's like, they forgot how much loan they have. Like they just didn't do like the math. And I say in like those situations that, especially with on-market properties, it's really the listing agent's job to, exactly. to walk them through, like to see like approximately what their take home is, is going to be. And so they know kind of what they're, they're working with. Um, even when it just comes to like an offer amount, because I've had people, right. they didn't realize that they were basically now in short sale. And they get, you know, their payoffs and they're like, you need to bring $10,000 to closing. They're like, I don't have $10,000. Like I thought right. I would get $10,000 and use that to go somewhere else. And like, now you're telling me I'm losing money on a sale. Like I wouldn't have never sold. And so it can get really funky when that happens. And then, oh, that stinks. Like she probably didn't get the, the altar or the HUD um, 
Well, she did. I knew it. Like, how did yeah. she? I mean, maybe instead of, instead of saying like cash to seller, it said probably cash from seller. And you just, you don't even think that that like last line item would say that. Yeah. I think there was just a miscommunication. Um, it was, it was pretty awkward to say the least when, you know, we're sitting at the closing table. I mean, it, you know, it's still kind of COVID times, but we're all there in person and, uh, we had to all leave the room and we're just like hanging out in the parking lot, wondering if it's going to close. I mean, uh, it was stressful and not the most stressful thing to come. (laughs) I know. So let's talk about that a bit. So you get through the, you know, a very awkward closing, Yes. um, but it it closes. And then Um, you get the property. Do you go right to the property after closing? Like, did you tour it? Or like, did you not like get over there for a few days? So we went over and we, you know, introduced ourselves to the tenants that we were inheriting and kind of, you know, assessed. We immediately started advertising for the third unit that was vacant so we could get someone in there and um, really just tried to start off on a good note with the new tenants that we were inheriting. So in the in the previous owner's leases, they, she did have a clause that said the new landlord, if the property sells, can terminate the lease within 60 days notice. Me being new and wanting to, you know, be a really ethical landlord, I didn't want to just come in and be like, okay, we're the new owner. Clear you're, house. you're gone in 60 days. So I talked to the tenants and said, you know, let's do a month to month lease. I'm going to end the previous owner's lease, but start a month to month lease with both of you. Um, So I think that was like a few days after we closed. We didn't actually sign anything yet. We were still just kind of getting our bearing. Um, So if like maybe the next Monday. So over the weekend, we toured the third, we had the third unit doing tours with prospective tenants and found someone and had him sign a lease and he was ready to move in. And uh, so that coming Monday, we are thinking things are going well, that we have a new tenant coming in, um, two tenants in place. And I actually had the week off of work So I was just getting acquainted with the place, you know, setting things up, getting all my documents in line and um, actually out walking my dog. And I get a call and it's from an unknown number. Usually I wouldn't answer the phone, but, you know, when you're you're showing people uh, you have a listing on Zillow, people are calling you like crazy. So I figured, okay, I'll just answer it. Um, So it ended up being uh, the county sheriff's department. And... Yeah. So I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, They're asking me a bunch of questions. So first they start off like, we're calling about your tenant at XYZ property. When was the last time you have seen her? Is she safe? And my response, I'm like, I I just met her for the first time. Um, I I don't know. I I assume she's safe. I just spoke with her. I, I wouldn't have any information to assume otherwise. And they asked me, do you know her boyfriend? Uh, if you if you saw him, would you recognize him? And again, I'm like, I do not know her boyfriend. I, I just bought the place. Like, 
Um, the previous owner had told me a few things in passing about the boyfriend that he was kind of trouble. He had caused some fights at the property. Um, I should have dug into that a little bit more. But finally, after just them throwing rapid fire, rapid fire questions at me, I'm like, what is this about? Why, why are you asking me these questions? Um, I really wish they had started with the reason. So then they go, oh, well, I guess we should have told you this. He's wanted for homicide. Um, we have your property surrounded uh, with police and we have a warrant to search the property. If you don't let us in, we're going to, you know, bust the door down and and go in to search for him. Oh, gosh. So did you drive over to the property to let them in? So my first immediate thought was, okay, I'm going to call the previous owner. And we had a pretty good relationship. We were going to be working together, doing seller financing. So I just decided I'm calling her. I First thing was, I'm going to get her on the phone. So she ended up being really close by. And I mean, we had literally closed a few days ago. So she still had keys. And she went over to meet with the police and let them in. And they did search the property. But they didn't have to bust your door down at least. They did not bust the door down. I'm very thankful for that. And they did not, he was not there. Interesting. And so how, like, what happened after that? So, well, let me ask you this question first. Was he on the lease or was he just, was it just a girlfriend on the lease and he was like living there? So she was the only one on the lease. He was there a lot and now after the fact I've gone back and reviewed all the documents that I got through the sale and it turns out he did apply to live there with her when they first she first initially applied um and way after like months like maybe six months after this all went down I I asked the previous owner about it because I realized it and she was she said that the they had gotten into a fight and she asked for him to be removed from the lease. Interesting. But then I guess at some point they reconciled and he started staying there again. And so do you know if he was like ever caught? Yes. So it went on for about, I would say two months where he was, I guess, on the run. Like it was in the news. It was, you know, a pretty big thing. Um, And he was eventually caught a few towns over. Interesting. So what did you end up doing like with the tenant in that situation? So you've got the girlfriend, right? We know she has, we'll say poor taste in men. (laughs) And like, I'm curious how you handled that from, you know, a, like her tenancy, like what did you want to do there? So I will say I had no idea what to do. I mean, this was like (laughs) an, situation I have never even worried about. I worry about a lot of situations and this is not one of them. So we had previously, like I mentioned, talked verbally about doing a month to month lease. Her lease was ending in about two months with the previous owner. So I, you know, my fiance and I decided that it was in everybody's best interest to try to just not renew her lease at the end of her lease, have her leave. Um, so that is what we, we told her after this situation that, you know, we, we have, I know we had verbally agreed to 
a month to month lease, but we haven't signed anything and we think it is in your best interest and everybody's best interest for you to find a new place. We'll, we'll help you find a new place. We offered to pay cash for keys, pay for a moving van, that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately she kind of just was not willing to leave. And, uh, I, at that point, she also disclosed to me that she was pregnant, um, and was a due in a few months. So at the end of the day, we just ended up, uh, signing the month to month lease. Okay. So she's still in the property. Yes. She paying rent. <laughs> um, she is receiving rental assistance from, uh, the COVID dollars and that is set to end at the end of May. So it is currently, uh, to be determined what will, what will happen after those rental assistance dollars. end. right. So at this point she's since had the baby. Yes. And gotcha. And so her lease is up. What? Like in September then? It's month to month. So oh, it's still month to month. So you're right. You, what are your long-term plans with her? I really don't know. That is a really and that's how we're great... keeping it flexible month to month. Yeah. I, I'm really not sure. So it was a really awkward, you know, having to have these conversations. It's just something that as a new landlord, I never expected to be having. Um, and, you know, we have talked a lot about the fact that the unit's not really suitable for uh, to, like a child. It's very small. It's like barely, like barely larger than a studio. So it's really cramped in there. Um, so she has said she wants to find a, a bigger place to move into. So uh, that is the hope. She's It'll be on is the plans. <laughs> that will be on her terms. Yes, that is the hope that it is on her terms. It's, you know, I know when you're, you know, being a landlord eviction is something that is you what you have to deal with, but trying to avoid that if at all possible. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. And I've I've had the same mentality with my own process. It's like if we can avoid an eviction at all costs, like let's do it. It's messy for us. It's really messy for tenants. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not like optimal, um, like we've never tried to like evict a tenant who just like didn't want to pay like a rent increase. Like it, we'd spend more money on the eviction than we would on like right. the difference in the rent amount. Um and right. so yeah, is that like giving them a win? Is that maybe letting them think they are the boss? Maybe, but like at the end of the day, like we're still kind of coming out at the same level or same point. And so it, it's just one of those like judgment calls, but I totally agree. It, it, there's, there's a lot of really awkward conversations in landlording that I feel yeah. like that kind of tells you about where it's just like, so are you going to renew or like, what's right. your which is this really like, does this really make sense for you? Right. Well, my biggest fear with all of this was while he was still kind of being like, I guess on the run was like, okay, well, what if he comes back and wants to stay with her? And that's, you know, not an ideal situation. What if somebody else involved in the crime came looking for him or looking for revenge. I mean, right. it was just insane to even like think about what could potentially happen that it's like, 
wasn't necessarily and might still not necessarily be the safest place for her to be. So that was kind of our thinking and being like, okay, let's, let's help you find a new place. Um, it, you know, she, we, she was up to date with payments through the rental assistance. So it wasn't that we were just trying to find a best case scenario for all. I mean, the neighbors were kind of stressing about it. Our other tenants were a little like getting spooked. Like when you've got like the SWAT team or whoever it was rolling. Right. Right. Like, Oh, who exactly is my neighbor? Right. Well, yeah. So there's two other tenants at this point in the, in the property that, we owe to them to provide a safe environment too. So it was a really tough situation and not something I was expecting to deal with, you know, very early on in being a landlord. So I'm wondering, like, and I know hindsight's always 2020 and not everything is like obviously preventable. Like there, there's no way, just like the timing of closing and you didn't commit a murder like this other person did. I know. Well, like allegedly. Like, allegedly. Okay. It isn't until proven guilty. Right. But I'm wondering like, is there something you wish you would have done differently, say like in due diligence when you were under contract? Yes. What would that have been? Oh, I mean, I, there's so, there's so many red flags looking back at it just the fact that the seller was so eager to sell under those terms even um was kind of something that we should have been like okay why why what's going on here and we should have done more digging into the payments so like those two tenants were delinquent or late on payments, basically every single payment to the previous owner. Um, And so we should have just taken that clause 60 days and that was it. So, um, you know, I should have probably put my wanting to be uh, a nice person aside and think of it as a business rather than you know, worrying, oh, what if they are, what if, what if, what if, and just be like, look at the facts. They were late 12 out of the 14 past months. You have this 60 day clause that allows you to terminate the lease. You should take it. So, right. So maybe it wouldn't have been, you don't take the property, but maybe you would have looked at like your post-closing actions a little bit differently and that, and it's just so crazy because it was, you're talking a matter of just like, what was it? Two days after this happened and so it such a short window for something for you to kind of like start discussing plans with tenants in one direction and then end up having like yeah. this total curveball thrown at you um and it's it's not one of those things that you could like ever predict right it's not like uh, you can it probably save makes you think cash. a little bit differently about you know inherited tenants I know some people will look um in states where you're allowed to do this where you know they'll look at inherited tenants almost as if they're new applicants and do they, you know, the criteria of say their other rental properties or looking at, you know, say perhaps the late payment history or um, if there's like histories of complaints or whatever the case may be, all of that stuff. If that wouldn't make them a tenant 
if they were just like a new applicant, then maybe you remove them at that time. Um, and then that that's not to say that all that stuff is like a determining factor. Like some people just pay rent like every single month and otherwise they, you know, they're great tenants, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it is one of those red flags. I think it's red flags that we look for, whether it's in like, uh, acquisition due diligence or just general new tenant turnover time. Right. Right. And I think another thing that we probably should have, you know, dug in a little bit deeper on was the mention of previous fights between this tenant and her partner. Um, Because as we got further along, it felt like every time I would have a conversation with the seller, I would learn more, but then we were in deeper. So like, I learned that he broke a window And I learned that he broke the front door. But at this point, we were like a week away from closing. And like three months or like three weeks ago, she just mentioned they got into a fight. So as the time went on and as we got more invested in it, more came out that we should have questioned. Yeah, one of those things. And then it's it's hard when you don't have like a forthcoming seller in this situation, one of the things that I'll say just like tactically that I do um, in contracts when it's buying or selling uh, tenant occupied property, because it is so ripe for, I'll say the withholding of information where it's like, Hey, I gave you the lease or here's like proof of their security deposit. And they just kind of say like, be gone with you Um, is it's around like a stopple agreements and like what kind of questions you're asking there. And then also just representations to be made in the contract. So it could be something as simple as adding to the contract that like <clears throat> none of the commit, you know, tenants have committed a crime or there's never been a complaint against a tenant right. um, previously. And they just have to say yes or no. And then if they, they change the story or things happen, then you kind of have um, at least that representation to hang your hat on. Um But it sounds like, you know, in the scheme of things, this was like a total curveball and probably like something where you were probably losing sleep over it for several days. But I mean, it sounds like at this point, you know, we're, you know, several months out from it and it's probably not your ideal situation, but it's functioning. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say it is functioning. And, (laughs) you know, the previous owner, she, we still are working together. She's very nice and have I have no bad things to say about her, but yeah, it's functioning. I, at first we were like, what did we get into? I want out. Um, and now it's just kind of like, okay, let's just get through this. Once we get through it, it will hopefully be better on the other side. Um, but we're still not through it. We, still know that the rental assistance will end at the end of May. And at that point, I'm not certain that either of those two inherited tenants will start paying on time at all. I really, it's still really up in the air. We actually hired a property manager after all of this went down and ended up firing them after a month. Oh, goodness. So (laughs) here I am thinking that we're like, coming to the end of the conversation, but I want to hear a little bit about that. So you yeah. had a property manager and they were short-lived. What, what happened there? So the property manager that we hired was 
a like starting out property management firm and we went under agreement with them. We didn't have like a year long contract or anything. They were basically just like, if you're not happy, you can quit with us anytime. Um, so we signed on with them and about a week or two later, this same tenant contacts the property manager that um, there's a pipe that is bursted in the basement. Um, and the property manager reaches out to me asking me if she wants, if I want to call my handyman or if I want her team to deal with it. I'm like, the first thought in my head is, I of course want your team to handle it. That is what we are paying you for to handle it. Like, why are you even texting me? Just handle it. Like, there is water gushing in the basement. Please go there and handle it. Um, and they had no plans to do that. Uh, she responded and was like, I'll see if they're available. And this is a Friday night. We're out to dinner. Like, got we got in the car and drove over there ourselves because I was not about to just let water gush in the basement, right? Um, and she didn't seem like she was having any plans to get anybody there. So yeah, we ended up going ourselves and shutting the water off. And uh, turns out this is not confirmed. This is just suspected, but it's a back corner of the basement where there's a storage room. And then in the entryway to the storage room is where the pipe had burst. And the tenant that contacted us told us that they got burnt by the water, got wet. Um, and there's no reason that they should have been in that back corner. There's no laundry back there. The only thing that's back there is a storage room, which was technically off limits to the tenants. Um, and when we got there, there was a mattress uh, that had been stuffed through the doorway. Um, so our suspicion is that the tenant had been pushing the mattress through the doorway that didn't fit and it hit the pipe right. and the pipe burst. Um, so the property manager ended up sending their handyman who did not come with any tools, did not have any plans to fix it and was just going to leave the property with no water overnight until they could fix it. Um, and then charged us $100 for that. So we ended up telling them it wasn't working out. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah, that's really frustrating when like you get call someone out for a service call and it's just like a consultation or something. Yeah. Like, like, you provided no value to me. Like all you right. did was like nothing. Literally. We walked around and looked and was like, we'll be back tomorrow to fix it. Um like at least come in with a toolbox. I don't know. All right. Make a, make a show of like, oh, we don't have the right material and we'll get it from Home Depot in the morning. Like there was just not even a show of that. Right. So we ended up calling an emergency plumber and we're there till like 1 a.m. and got it fixed that night. I mean, could it cut, could it have gone overnight? Probably. Um, that again goes to my right. being a new landlord and just kind of not, not being sure what 
constitutes being okay and waiting until the next morning or having to deal with it immediately. Yeah. No, and then it, there's a gray area for that. Yeah. And I think it, there's nothing wrong with erring on the side of caution. Right. Um, because I think it sometimes it comes down to like tenant sensitivities as well. I can tell you from like my own experience that like sometimes things like that would happen and you tell a tenant that like, hey, the HVAC guy or the plumber or whoever will be out in the morning and they're just like, wonderful. That's great. Like, yeah. I'll, you know, if I need to shower or whatever, I just won't flush your toilet. Like whatever the case may be, it's like whatever they need to not do as an inconvenience. They're just like happy that you're responding. Right. And then sometimes get those tenants who are like, well, now I need to get a hotel and now yeah. I need to go do this. And, exactly. you're, and you're like, well, like at what point do you want to start throwing a stink? I was like, what are you going to start doing? You want to start doing like per diem up their, you know, their monthly rent amount and deducted. Right. Is it really worth it? How much of it is it? Is it really unhabitable? It's overnight. How much time? And so like, yeah, but like there's also like the, the, you know, on the flip side, like some of that stuff is a why, like I always, always, always tell people I'm like, make your tenants get rental insurance because sometimes yeah. that will cover like the hotel room or whatever and just make your judgment calls as a landlord a lot easier because you're like look if I tell them that plumber's not coming until tomorrow afternoon if they don't like it go use your rental insurance and go you know or go to a friend's house or literally do it right go to the gym and that's what or- we're yeah we've decided after all of these tenant things that have come up is that any any new tenants moving forward is we are requiring rental insurance that is something we didn't require before, and we now know that we need to require it. And it's so inexpensive. I yeah. think people think that they're like, it, it, it's something on the level of like homeowner's insurance. And it's like 30 bucks a month or something, and it can usually be gotten through like their car insurance provider or something. Right. Like that. It might even be less. I mean, I, I've seen some that are... Right. They're like, yeah, they're like 15 bucks. Yeah. So especially if you can get them like as a writer on, on another policy, they're extraordinarily inexpensive for the amount of like coverage and protection. Um, and I think tenants just get confused about how insurance works in that situation where like, say there is a flood or say there's a fire, like your insurance does not cover them for that. And chances are your lease doesn't say you're obligated to cover them for anything like that. Right. Like they're left huddling the bag and like, that's still, I mean, because I, I think we're a lot like each other in the sense that like, you still feel like crappy as a landlord. Like yeah. you don't want to see someone who like doesn't have running water or doesn't have their personal effects or things like that exactly. and to, like, make it right. But it's also like you have the opportunity to protect yourself and you chose otherwise. Right. Um, and so I agree. I, I, we put it in all of our leases. Um, we typically will like check that they actually obtain it as well. Cause that's a question I get a lot was like, okay. do, do you actually make sure that they have it? Right. And I'm like, yeah. At like the time of keys, I ask for, you know, just to see a copy of the policy, make sure we're an additional insured. And then we can you know, kind of carry on with our lives. If they cancel it afterwards, like, look, I'm not yeah. going to be their parent. If they wanted to like, show me something just to show me something. Then that's kind of on them at that point. I right. File. But it's, um, I don't like saying like, I'm just going to put it in there and like never check about it and just kind of right. like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we're definitely, that's something that I've learned is to definitely make sure that it's there um, and follow up on that. We, we've been through to this point, we've been pretty lenient and might've gotten pushed over a little bit uh, through various situations. So I definitely need to become more, <laughs> more firm. Yeah. And I, I don't think that means that you become like 
a big nasty landlord right. or slumlord or anything like that. No. It just, like, but you, you, it, it's constantly evolving. Like, I don't, I know for us, like, we're constantly evolving what like our intake looks like and turnover time, how that exactly. looks like, and like our lease, we change once or twice a year. <laughs> like, anytime yeah. things go wrong or even things go right, we're like, you know what, like, this needs to be added to the lease, right. and it's it's, it's constantly a learning thing. And so long as like, you see that as a learning opportunity, which it sounds like you totally are. And that's good. It's one of, one of those things where like, you you can't control everything, but you can actually control a lot as a landlord. And like, once you kind of realize that you have the power to do that, it, it can be intimidating, but it's also really empowering. And, um, you realize how much you can do to actually protect yourself through the contracts and things like that. Right. Right. And we've also learned that we actually we'll sit down with the tenant and go through the lease line by line to make sure that they're they're reading it that they aren't just signing it and actually going through it so yeah and you know the the episode that I recorded earlier this week with with another tenant horror story the the guest said just this exact same thing where it's like I I think that's one of those things like during COVID we kind of like let slide a little bit but Yeah, yeah people I mean especially in the age of DocuSign they just you know they just sign it and then exactly and then when you go to enforce it or whatever it feels like shocking yeah to them. It's like, like oh I just was, didn't realize that right yeah and that leases go way beyond just like the start date the end date and the rent amount like because I think uh, for tenants like those are the key points like exactly. this is my rent this is the utilities and this is when it starts and ends and they don't realize all the other like kind of fine print in there that yeah. I'd say really isn't fine print like it shouldn't be you know, a shock if you wanted to once or twice a year, just come and check in on the condition of the property. And tenants get really funny about that. And so you tell them before they move in, they're like, you know, happy go lucky and everything. Uh And like, it doesn't come as a surprise later when you, when you go to do those types of things. Right. Um, And we, we also added a a clause about criminal activity to our lease. (laughs) Yes. And I, I imagine many of the listeners will be doing that here as well. Some of that is actually provided by state yeah. law. Um, right. And some of that, and sometimes I like adding things to my lease, even if it's already provided by state law, because it gives that kind of discussion point. Right. Highlight to the tenant, like, hey, exactly. this is like Pennsylvania, you know, your property is in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania state law. And if it comes up, we intend to enforce it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I feel like it's all been a learning curve. And like I mentioned at the beginning, trial by fire, I think we can safely say we have dealt with most things. I'm not going to say we've dealt with the craziest thing because watch something crazier is going to happen tomorrow and I'm going to jinx myself, but we feel a lot more confident in being able to handle situations after all of yeah, this. Like it, when you realize and get through like a rough patch, you realize that like future rough patches, they're, they're rough, but you'll get through them just like you got through this one. Right. Um, exactly. Kind and of. Mar- Thank you so much for joining me this week, Miranda. Thank you. Uh, we, we had talked beforehand. You're like, I don't think I have like a whole episode worth of <laughs> something to discuss. And like, we totally, um, you know, I think we could have kept this conversation going and going, right. but I want to be conscious of your time and just thank you again so yeah. much. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, if listeners would like to get a hold of you, is there a, a good place for them to contact you? Um, I do have a website. It is uh, heydaydevelopment.com. That is our LLC name. And also on Instagram, it's Heyday Development Pittsburgh. Very cool. 
Well, thank you again, Miranda, for joining us this week and stick around for next week's horror story, guys. And it's going to be a good one. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the House of Horrors podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at bonniegallum.com forward slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your portfolio and take my free legal workshop, The Three Legal Myths, Preventing You from Securing and Scaling Your Portfolio, and of course, what to do instead at bonniegallum.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at bonniegallumesq and send me a DM to say hi. Thank you for listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now this lawyer's got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.